You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Happy New Year! This is still a great way to start the new year out for those who um, are here with us today. We may have an online presence bigger today than ever, and I understand why. It was a long night for some people. For my family, we're kind of party poopers. Bed at 9 o'clock, try to get to sleep, all the fireworks going off in our neighborhood. It was crazy, you know. But it was great. It was great. It's good to be here. And let's start with prayer. Lord God, in this new year, we know your mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. And you are the God of our past, the God of our present, and the God of our future. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are amazed at your goodness toward us and all that you have done for us. And so as we celebrate the gift of Christmas, Lord. Let us understand it more deeply than ever before. Holy Spirit, we need your presence here. Uh, We need you to be working, uh, the one who's really teaching today, the one who's really doing, uh, doing your work in our hearts and lives today. And so we ask, come Holy Spirit, fill us this moment, fill this time, and bless all the churches in our area who are celebrating today, the start of a new year. And and just a fresh start with you. All this we pray in Jesus, your name. Amen. So we're finishing up a three-week series called The Gift of Christmas, okay? And um, we started out two weeks ago um, on December 18th with The Gift of Christmas Future. We've kind of gone backwards, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? We started with the future because I think actually that's what the Bible does a lot is it projects out and tells us. We don't look at the present into the future, we look at actually, uh, we look at the future into the present. In other words, from the future that we know that God has for us, the picture of who our God is, what God is doing, what God has given us, the vision we saw in Isaiah that the lamb will lie down with the lion and the little child will lead them, and the peace that breaks out that this world has never seen, that's our future that God has given us in, in the Messiah. We then see how we can live in the present. So we look from the future into the present and evaluate everything in this world based on God's future for us, okay? So that was week one. Then on Christmas Eve, we talked about the gift of Christmas present and present being God's presence in our lives. And we talked a little, I think, about how we're not good at receiving gifts, okay? We just aren't. We are all, you know, like, um, have you ever gotten a gift from your neighbor that you kind of like, okay, now do I owe him back? Do you know what I mean? We all of a sudden, instead of receiving free, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. No strings attached. That's how grace comes. And the gift of Christ's presence in our lives makes the difference. It's the one gift needed. That was Christmas Eve. Today... We're at the gift of Christmas past, and we see how in the past, in history, in fact, in actuality, Jesus Christ was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, to free us from our past by himself going through his past, okay? 
We're going to look at that today. We're going to be seeing this in the book of Galatians in chapter 4 where we are. And if you want to, you can go online. We have an app as well as you can go online to the U version of the Bible and follow the notes and you will find under Thrive Community Church the notes for this message, okay? Anyway, so we're going to read Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So I'm really humbled today to talk about how we all can get past our past. How God has redeemed us from our past because we all have a past and we've all done things, including me, or said things or gone through things that really bother us, hang around us, are a weight and a burden for us. Just the sheer mention of our past record in some way can bring up shame or guilt. Just mentioning a place or a time or an event can bring on a cascading effect for some people of just angst or fear or anxiety or trepidation or that feeling of shame or guilt. It's just amazing how that can affect us today. It's almost like post-traumatic stress over what we've done back there still affects what's going on today, so we can't get out of it. We feel stuck in it. And I'm not sure what that might be for you, okay? I really don't, but I do know a lot of people, many times, are feeling kind of all that guilt and shame over their sexual past, where... At the time, it seemed like fun, it was the right thing to do, but now they look back and they realize, oh man, what a mess I made of things and of relationships, and it just haunts them. Um, For others, it's just kind of a reoccurring thing that keeps coming up because it's something that you can't quite get over, and you say, I did it again, I can't believe I've done this. God, I will never do this again. Please forgive me. You, you say, I, I've received forgiveness for it. And then two, three weeks go by and you're still back in the same thing. And oh my goodness, it's happened again. And you just keep going around this kind of sin cycle that you just can't free yourself from. Now, for some of us, it's just simply in the heat of an argument. You said things you didn't Well, you did mean, (laughs) but it was in the heat of the argument and you can't unsay them now and it's affecting your relationship and there's a coolness or an alienation, there's a lack of intimacy. Some of you might have been bad decisions that you've made that you're afraid that are now bringing, that that just now are going to come back and bite you in the you know where because all of a sudden all that Whatever it is, debts, bills, decisions, choices, um, the temporal issues are still around and you just can't seem to get over it. You hate it, you regret it, but you don't know what to do. And others of us, we just look at our children. That's all it takes. And we say, boy, you know, if I would have been a better parent, maybe things would have turned out differently. 
right? So I think we can all agree or all have felt at time and again, and if you read the Psalms, you'll see this again and again, and people even like King David said things like this, my guilt has overwhelmed me, it has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Ugh, it just bothers me. You know, and so what do we do? We try to forgive ourselves for what we've done. Have you ever heard of people saying, I really need to forgive myself? And I'm going to tell you, you don't. Because that's not your job. You need God to forgive you, right? And you need to receive that as a gift. Because I'm not the one who's the judge in the end. I, I, if I need to forgive myself, and I understand, because I have said this, I really need to, <clears throat> then I'm still placing myself in the place of God on the throne and saying, God, what you've said about me isn't good. I need, you know, what's, what I think about myself is more important than what you've said about me. And that's another thing I need to repent over. Because I think the whole universe is wrapped up in what I think about myself, and it's not. It's really wrapped up into what God has spoken, what God has done, what God has said. The gift of Christmas passed. So forgiveness is always from outside of yourself. It's a gift. And that's why even David, when he was saying his guilt was overwhelming him, he says in Psalm 38, in verse 15, a few verses later, he says, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. So this is what I want you to hopefully understand today. We've used this quote before. I've said it a number of times because I think Oscar Wilde, of all people, said it well. And it's true. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. So if you look throughout the scriptures from King David, who had a past, he was still considered a saint, one of God's holy ones because of Jesus Christ, because of the Messiah to come, because of God's forgiveness. If you look at anyone in the scriptures, every hero in the Bible wasn't really a hero in the sense of perfect or pure. They had a past, but God gave them a future. And if you look in the world today and all the, quote, noble people that you see throughout the church, and you think, oh, wow, look at them. They are so, they have a past. All the people whom God uses have a past. That's just the nature of grace. Isn't it great? God is able to redeem our past, even use our past, use our mistakes, use all that we, quote, that we can't change, and he still uses it for his glory. He's able to redeem the past and make it a wonderful gift, not only for ourselves, but for others, okay? So by the power of God through Christ, I believe God can give you the gift of Christmas past so that you understand the redemption that you have and that even your past, no matter how checkered or broken or messed up it has been, becomes a gift and is used by God for his glory and his kingdom. So, there's two things that we're going to talk about that I think we just need. I know they're basic, but I think today is an okay way to start basic <laughs> in the new year, okay? And we're going to... and. So the point number one is simply this. Your biggest sins are not too big for God to grace. Okay? <clears throat> your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Now, like, um, I've almost been a pastor for 30 years. And it is amazing in my own life as well as 
people I've met, how easily we get a distorted perspective on our own lives. And somehow we focus in on something that we've done, said, or whatever, and all of a sudden it becomes monumental. And all of a sudden we start to despair and thinking somehow this thing somehow is the exception to the gospel. And it's not. Okay? It's not. Now, when you've got it like up here, my thumb looks really big. But when I put it into the perspective of God's grace, as far as the east is from the west, as far as the heavens are above the earth, as wide and infinite as God's grace, it is, doesn't even get close. God can handle it. But it's amazing how people can be trapped into their guilt. Now, Paul says in Galatians 4, this, they are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, okay? That's where we were, that's where we are at times. It's like we're swimming in an ocean and we're trying to make our way and we're swimming in the ocean of the principles of this world, elementary principles, which I think are the reciprocities, the tit-for-tats, the keeping records, the political alliances that we make, all of this stuff, and we're looking around, and we can't get free because so often we're keeping a track record on ourselves and on everyone else. Like I said, we don't do a good job at giving gifts or receiving gifts because, okay, what do I owe you now that you gave this to me, right? Now I feel obligated. Oh, no, 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 and and it's back and forth and back and forth, and we're stuck in these elementary principles called the law. The law of how we treat one another and what I can do and what I can't do. And we're tra- always trying to balance it out. Always trying to at least be one step ahead. And it just doesn't work. Okay? That's how the world is set up. And it's a place of slavery. It's a place of obligations. It's a place of stress. Most of our stress is a result of feeling the pressure of trying to keep up with the laws. And what did I have? What do I have to do now? And who who did I do? And did I do a good enough job? And did I? And we're all stuck on ourselves. It's like I'm trying to save myself in the ocean of guilt and obligations and laws and rules. And I can tread water for a while, but not forever. Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that guilt is a thing that you just have to get rid of. Okay. It's the worst thing in the world, and all you do is just mentally get over it. As if, you know, go to a psychologist, and I love counselors, so it's not, but that it's just a job job of mentally overcoming and saying, oh, that was just, that's just childhood guilt. I don't have to deal with that. I can overcome it by just not thinking about it or thinking differently about it. That's like me trying to be the solution to my own problem, and that's like me trying to tread water in the ocean the rest of my life, okay? It doesn't work. It just becomes another version of a rule that I have to follow and I can't follow and I can't keep it up. Now, the freedom that you have and that I have does not come from me trying to think through it or solve it myself. The freedom is from outside of myself. It comes from God. It's a freedom that brings peace and joy and will come as a gift of God. So guilt actually can be a good thing, okay? But it has to go somewhere has to get somewhere. 
That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So I believe there is a very real spiritual enemy that you and I have who'd love you to drown in your ocean of guilt. And when you try to free yourself... When you try to forgive yourself, when you try to think through it, when you try to process it, when you keep focusing on yourself, he just loves that because you're just stuck on yourself. And there's no power in that. There's no way to overcome that. And after a while, when you've tried unsuccessfully to to make up for it, to change, to do it yourself, to figure it out yourself, whether it's a few times or a hundred times, you finally give up and say, I'm just never going to get there. This is who I am. I'm just such a failure. I've just got to learn to accept it. And you just kind of almost drown in it and just let it happen. You know that um, that kind of guilt that Paul talked about, that leads to self-loathing. You know? Just like, ugh, I hate myself. And depreciating, actually, the gift of your life that God has given you. But the Bible talks about a guilt that leads to repentance. And that's the Holy Spirit's work. And it's one of the most beautiful things ever. It really is. It's great. It produces the change in our life. It lifts the burden. It's a gift from God to you. It's offered freely. 1 John chapter 1, we have this incredible invitation. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Reminds me of a childhood uh, toy I had, an Etch-A-Sketch. You ever have one of these? I never drew something like that. (laughs) Mine Mine was a mess. Uh, anybody else have, anybody have an etch? You know, the Etch-A-Sketch to me is the Florida State iPad, okay? I don't like FSU, so I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the iPad that they use. No. Um, I didn't say Miami, so. Uh, no, no. Um, um, but basically, what's great about it, unlike Google that you can't seem to, is like you make a mistake, you just turn it over and shake it, Right? It's gone. It's a great illustration of what God has said in this verse. He takes your life and the mistakes that you make, and he, they're gone. There's no record of them anymore. And the second thought I think follows this. This is one of our identity issues. We need to get this in our minds. You are not what you have done. You are what God has done and who he says you are because of that. Okay? You are what God has done and who you are because of that, what he says of you because of that. Okay? Your your identity is not what you've done. I know what happens in my logic many times. I fail at something, then I say I'm a failure. It's a wonderful job of... Labeling, 
There's a book called The New Mood Therapy, um, which is a really good uh, counseling book, and I'd recommend anyone reading it. It shows our illogic in it. I think it really shows a lot of the lies that the devil would like us to believe, and one of them is to change the fact that I failed and to turn it into a label that I am a failure. He loves that. He's the accuser. That's what he does. He accuses, accuses, accuses. And if he can get you to believe that you are absolutely what you've done, he's won. Right? We get enslaved to that. But this is what Galatians says, and that we're going to get to, is um, the fact that you are not what you've done. You are what God has done in Jesus Christ. The way it says it in Galatians is that Galatians 4 says that Christ was born under the law at just the fullness of time to redeem those who were under the law. And that word redeem is an extremely important Greek word. I, I love the word picture it brings out. It's the word here, ex agorase. Okay? Ex for exit. That's the epsilon. C, the first two, it's where we get the word exit, to get out. It's the exit. An agora, anybody know what an agora is? It's the marketplace. You get out of the market. So here's the picture. If you know Rome at all, you know that there were seven slaves to every one free person in Rome? <laughs> what a system, right? Wow, yeah, most people were slaves in Rome. Most people understood slavery very well. They were property. They were a commodity. They were something somebody else owned. And they could not get their freedom. They tried. They couldn't. And so this word, redemption, is basically saying, here's the picture. Jesus comes into the marketplace. He lives by the rules of that marketplace. He does everything in that marketplace. He sees you in the high price that is on you. And he takes your place and gets you out of the market. You are no longer a commodity. He becomes the slave to your sin. He's the one who takes the price and says, no, you're not going to have, you're not going to, no, you're going to take me. And he lives that perfect life under the burden of all the shoulds and musts and could haves and done, you know, all of that stuff. He lives that all out, lives it perfectly as a slave and dies the death to pay the price to free us completely so we are no longer in that marketplace where we are bought or sold or our value is placed on what can I do, you know. Why is it that we turn around and say, oh, my worth is based on what you think of me, what I can do for you, what good I am, or what I've done in my past. And he's saying, I've taken you out of that whole system. It's not yours anymore to be in. This word's used a number of times in the New Testament in different forms. The whole idea of redemption. For instance, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are his. He has freed you. And again, I love this in 1 Peter 1. Peter even says this, knowing that you were ransomed from that futile way the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. All that, you know, tit for tat, 
trying to keep up with this and do that and this, all of that stuff, our lives that are so futile because we're trying to figure out and fix ourselves, swim in that ocean of guilt and obligation and laws, and we can't, that you've been ransomed from that, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. Did you get it? That's yours. You've been ransomed. You're out of that marketplace. Don't go back into the market. Let me tell you, a lot of people will keep looking at you and try to evaluate you and base their value, treat you like a commodity, like an object. You are now an heir. You are a son. You are a daughter of the king. You are royal. That's what the word of God says. That's what Jesus accomplished. Christ redeemed those who were under the law. So you are free. Um, But John, doesn't the law, I mean, you're talking like 10 commandments and stuff, right? Aren't those real? Aren't those true? Yeah, they are. Isn't there a good place for them? Yep. Look at Galatians 4 and what Paul, of all people, the, key, the guy who tried to keep all the laws. I mean, he kept every law, right? And more. He was the law keeper, and he found out by keeping the law, he was actually a lawbreaker. It's really fascinating what he figured out on the road to Damascus. He was keeping all the rules, and he hated um, this Messiah figure who was leading these people astray, that they seemed to have all this joy and freedom, and wait a minute, they're breaking the laws. And in so doing, he was actually breaking the laws. He tried to keep it. That's the catch-22 with the law. But he says there is a place for the law. And in Galatians, notice in this passage, it says this, that the law is like a tutor, like a nanny, like a babysitter when you were a kid. Okay, I'll come back here to the actual text, and it says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, you know, little kid, is no different from a slave, though he's an owner of everything, but he is under guardians. That's the word pedagogue there, which is, have you ever heard of the word pedagogy? It means teacher or nanny, you know, in this instance. So they had pedagogues in those days in Rome, and what a rich Roman... Um, household owner, the father would do, is he would get a pedagogue, hire a pedagogue to say, this is what happened to um, Ulysses did this for his son, I believe, when he went away. So um, in Homer's thing, you know, okay. Um, Boy, am I off topic, sort of, but uh, I'll bring it back. But the pedagogue would come in and he'd say, hey, my kid's kind of a mess. Boy, I would like a pedagogue right now at times for my kids because he's the one or she's the one who's like the nanny who comes in to tell them to clean up the room and do that. And then they can get upset with a pedagogue, but they don't look at me as the mean guy. That's exactly what happened in Rome. They said, hey, I want to have a good relationship with my son, with my daughter, with my children. And so I'm going to hire somebody else to be the bad cop so I can be the good cop. And when they grow up, All the bad memories will be with the pedagogue and I can come in and have a one-on-one relationship with my son, my daughter, etc. That's exactly what Paul is saying the law is for. The law was your babysitter until the fullness came, until the maturity came, until the fullness in Jesus Christ came. And now you don't need it anymore. 
I mean, can you imagine, really, do you want, I know you liked school when you grade school, but do you really need a kindergarten teacher to come into your house now and tell you to clean up your mess? Is that what you want? No, you're, you're grown up now. Do you really want a babysitter to come by and try to, you know, straighten things out? No, you're grown up now. You don't need that anymore, Paul is saying. You have the fullness of Jesus Christ. You are the royal son. You are the heir. You have been redeemed from that. So the place of the law was to get you to the point of of seeing the goodness and the greatness and the wonder of Jesus. And now that you have him, you need it no longer. All right. That's the gift of Christmas past. Jesus actually historically became a slave, a servant, to the point of death on the cross, Philippians 2 will state, to free us, to redeem us, to pay the ultimate price so that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer bound. We are no longer held by guilt and shame. We are freed. Or as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, this passage, which is pretty universal, so I want us to say some of it together. Therefore, if anyone... Okay, we're stopping there. Is there any exceptions to that? Anyone. Okay, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. What has happened to the old? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That old way is gone. Let's leave it in 2016, shall we? (laughs) We're done. Okay? The new has come. That's the gift of Christmas past. The Bible says, then, I am blessed when I come in and I go out. The Bible says that I am more than a conqueror, an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. The Bible says that I am free because Christ has set me free. The Bible says that the same Spirit who lived in Christ and raised him from the dead now lives in me, and I have that power of the resurrection in my life. The Christ says, uh, the Christ himself says that I am his and he is mine. I am not what I have done. I am what God has done in Jesus Christ and what he now says about me. That's who I am. Well, John, that's great, but you know, there are still things that I can't change about my past. Yeah. You don't have to. Christ, like I said at the beginning, has redeemed your past. He takes the sting out of death itself. He takes the poison out of any of those events, and he can change them to be useful for his glory and his kingdom, no matter what it is. And I am not trying to minimize anything that has happened to you in your past by any means. There are people that have gone through some of the most horrendous things. They may have been molested. They they may have been victimized in so many ways in their lives. I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm trying to maximize Jesus and put it in the perspective of what God can do with it. 
and how God, Jesus came, it says, by his wounds, we are healed. He took that too. He took whatever has happened to you in your past, whatever it happens to be, and he put it to death on the cross. And anything that is toxic or poisonous or difficult about it, he took it into himself and it put him to death. So it need not affect you in those ways. You don't have to change your past. Christ has redeemed your past. He has bought it back. He's paid the full price. So just then, when your spiritual enemy tries to convince you that your past still haunts you, that you're still what you've done, and brings it up again and again, I think there are two different things that you can do. First of all, don't just try to figure it out yourself, okay? Don't go just to figure it out yourself and try to psych yourself out of that. But find someone else to talk to. If you can't convince yourself you're forgiven or you're redeemed or that, that God can change that or has changed that or whatever, if you think that's still haunting you, if it's still kind of a weight on you, then find someone who understands, another Christian who understands that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Find someone who lives under the cross themselves. And that's why we have home huddles. That's why we have those kind of relationships, because I think it's there that the discipleship happens, where you are able to open up about your past and the fears that you have or whatever, and hear from someone else the encouraging word, the word of forgiveness, and you receive it as a gift. You don't have to forgive yourself. You get somebody else to do that in the Christian church. Isn't that great? And you can receive it as a gift. Now, if that isn't the only, the only way to do it, another way is when Satan brings up your past, just remind the devil of his future. You're finished. That's what Jesus said. You lost. Remind him of his future, that he has no place. He has no future. He can't even against the gates of hell, will not prevail against God's kingdom and his church and his people. You are finished. You have nothing to say. Your accusations are false. Your accusations cannot hit me because the Teflon of Jesus is over me. I am protected by his righteousness. I am clothed and baptized into it. I am who God has said I am, and I am who I am because of what Christ has done for me in the past. Those are the two tactics. Tell Satan what his future looks like and find someone else to hear that word of forgiveness from. Those are both gifts. Because we have a God who has changed everything and made everyone a new creation in Christ because your sins aren't too great for God's grace and you are not defined by what you've done but what Christ has done. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your gift of grace and your amazing uh, work in our lives. We pray, Lord, in this new year that we would receive your gift 
the past, the history, the actual fact. The, the devil cannot change what you did on that cross and how you rose again from the dead and how you lived your life. Those things are absolutely true. No one can change that. It is history. It is true, and it is ours. Thank you for your past that frees us for our future. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.